Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Dear ones, we are honored that you've joined us today on the Our Resolute Hope podcast. John Russin here. I serve as the moderator for my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman, and my friend, how are you today? I'm doing well in Christ, my friend. How about you? Well, well in Christ as well, but <laughs> I tell you, man, I'm getting tired of summers in Southern Arizona. <laughs> you know, the body when, was not meant for 120 degree heat. Huh? You know, we haven't hit that high, but I tell you, when I get excited because the high is only 102, I think there's mm. something that's changed for the bad in my brain. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, friends, thanks for joining us. If this is your first time with us, Frank and I have been chatting through a long series on everyone's favorite topic, suffering. And we've talked about suffering from the perspective, of course, of the Savior. We've talked about suffering from Paul's perspective, from Peter's perspective, from Joseph's perspective. And last time, Frankie, if you recall, we began to talk about suffering from Mary's perspective. And we kind of wound up on a high note with her, Frank. We talked about her song, uh, her Magnificat, as the Catholic Church calls it. That's what I grew up calling it. But when she met Elizabeth, and it was kind of cool because even though she had just had the world dumped on her shoulders, so to speak, mm -hmm. uh, she praised. You know, she, she saw herself in a way she's never seen herself before. And she saw her father in the way she never saw him before. So it was really cool the way the announcement of the birth of the Messiah had really changed the perspective of this dear lady. But Frank, as you know, right after the mountaintops come the valleys, <laughs> right. the trenches of life. This is where the rubber really meets the road. And I tell you, my friend, sometimes the burdens of our suffering can really make us feel like not only that we're walking through the valley of the shadow, but we're crawling on our hands and knees, can't it? Um, yeah, definitely, John. And it's really interesting when you wanted to bring up Mary, my thought of her suffering was when Jesus began to get opposition from the Pharisees and people thought he was crazy. And I especially focused on the cross and what it must have been like for a mom to offer up her son. But when we began to unpack this, John, I hadn't really considered the suffering that she was going through early in life as a, a young girl with child out of wedlock and claiming to be a virgin, which was true, and just pondering what a culture of morality would have been doing to a teenager claiming to be a virgin and pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> and boy, that must have been so very difficult for her. So I'm really glad you 
brought Mary up. She's not the first person that came to my mind when I thought of suffering. No, uh, not mine either, but I ran across mm -hmm. something, oh, a month or two ago when we were first putting this series together, and I thought, wow, this really gives me a different perspective into the life of Mary. We should talk about her in a balanced way. I mean, most people, when they talk about Mary, uh, speak about her in an unbalanced way. We talked about yeah. that last time. But to look at her really as scripture presents her. But today, Frank, I don't want to talk so much about the suffering alone right. as about the fact that our father really showed us in scripture that he did a lot to encourage this young couple. Now, we haven't really talked about encouragement in the context mm. of Paul or Joseph or Peter, but I'd like to spend this episode, and who knows, maybe the next one, if we don't get through it all, just looking at the way Father comforted mm. Mary. And I tell you, man, when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, sometimes I desperately need some comfort, especially when I'm confused and the whole world seems to be against me. Have you seen those folks in the counseling office, Frank? Oh, yeah, John. And, and you know, it's interesting. You said, in the valley, I really need comfort. Well, that's Psalm 23, the yes, wonderfully is. famous passage that I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but I get comforted as I walk through that valley. And so, yeah, I think this is a really good idea to... Yeah focus on the comfort. And I think right off the bat, Joseph wanted to quietly put her away. And the angel spoke to Joseph and said, uh-uh, this is of God, stay with her. So that comfort began almost immediately with Joseph staying with her. Yeah. And so she didn't have to go through this alone. Yeah. And it's beautiful that God did that. It is. Nobody wants to go through suffering alone. So what I'd like to do, Frank, today is uh, I'd like to look at a few incidents from uh, the life of Mary as recorded in Scripture. And I want to begin with the Christmas story. Now, everybody knows this, the travel to Bethlehem, no room at the inn, baby born in a stable, placed in a manger. I get all that. But I want to go back to the backstory behind that. Nine months prior, the angel appears to Mary. The angel appears to Joseph. Elizabeth confirms that her cousin is going to bear the Messiah. And so three times right out of the chute, Mary gets comforted. Hey, this is real, girl. This is a God thing. Hang in there. But you know, scripture is silent, Frank, for the next nine months. Mm. And so nine months go by. And of course, she's living in Nazareth. <laughs> so the gossip mm. mill is probably running wild about this girl pregnant for marriage. And then, of course, they, they hop on the donkey and they head to Bethlehem, and there's no place to stay. And I'll tell you, what struck me, Frank, was that if I were Mary and I were facing bearing the Messiah and the hardship I'd already experienced and what I knew I was going to face, I'd be pretty let down when I got to Bethlehem and mm -hmm. I didn't have a place to stay. You know, I'd say, you know, God, can't you throw me a bone? Give me a place to stay. But, you know, mm. this young girl, I remember what she said. You know, my soul magnifies the Lord. Do to me what you will. I'm the handmaiden. I'm the bondservant of the Lord. She didn't express the single thought of entitlement, that I deserve something special. 
you know, the promise was that she'd be blessed among women, mm. but that blessing wasn't going to show up in the earth anytime soon, was it? No. Uh-uh. She gets that thrown at her real quick, having to birth the Messiah amidst all kinds of animal filth. You just wonder, John, you know, what was going through her mind. Yeah. You know, I didn't sign up for this. I thought it'd be better. You know, the Messiah. Mm -hmm. I remember the words the angel used, you know, king, the prince, the ruler forever. These were messianic titles. And I'm sure she had in her mind the birth of the king. I certainly would based on the words the angel used. But here he is in the most lowly of beginnings. I tell you, it's really humbling when our father puts us in a position where he unpacks his blessings. And some of those blessings are kind of wrapped in dark paper, which is what we talked about last time. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's tough. But then, you know, father steps in big time out of the blue. Frank, the shepherds show up. She had no idea they were coming. And Mm -hmm. not only do they show up, but they say, hey, guess what we've heard? And so they proclaim, they're the first missionaries, Frank, to Mm. show up and talk about the Messiah. And it's almost as if Father wraps his arms around them both again and says, Mm. hey, I got this. I'm working in ways you don't see. You got to trust me. And look, look at these shepherds. They should be out with their sheep, but here they are. I'm watching their sheep. I put some angels out there to take care of them, and I sent them in here just to encourage you. Wow, Frank. I, you know, I think I know that you've had lots of struggles, physical struggles with some of your kids. And I think back over the years at all the ways that encouragement in so many different forms has come out of the blue to lift your spirits and to bolster you as you walk this path. How's that feel when a, a blessing like that comes out of the blue? Well, <laughs> it's a mindset that says, you are still there. (laughs) You know, John, when the days are dark, it's hard to see God sometimes. And when he breaks through like that, and a lot of times he uses people, we began to use a phrase in our family from a quote from a friend of ours. And he said, what you need to do is mark these times and then connect the dots And, you know, down through the time period that's gone on, we can look back and connect those dots when a dark day is here and say, look what he's done in the past. We know he's here. We know he hears. He's proven it. And he'll be there for us today. Connect the dots. And I think that's where we're going today with you is the shepherds are the first dot. Elizabeth, well, maybe Elizabeth and Simeon, the first two dots. And now the shepherds are a third dot. And I got a feeling you've got a lot more dots. Yeah, I got more dots. But you know, (laughs) you know, your statement about, you know, writing these down and connecting the dots. I didn't notice this till just mention that. But right when the shepherds came, scripture says that Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her heart. Frank, ruminating is the thought that comes to me. She tucked them away to think about them later. She's trying to connect the dots, trying to figure out what's going on. And so she's marking the blessings, Mm. but they certainly have been anything but predictable. And as I thought about it, 
in your walk with Father, in my walk with Father, he has proven to be anything but predictable sometimes. Mm, And I tell you, I get torn sometimes, my friend, wrestling between the God I want and the fact that he doesn't always resemble the God who is. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's true. Oh, gosh, it certainly is. And so this young girl, Frank, she is right in the middle of just a whirlwind. You know, she's got a husband who believes her, but probably not many others do either. And remember what she said, man, it's almost like she echoed the words of Jesus in Gethsemane. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Wow. Mm. You know, Father never leaves us alone. Mm. We might feel like we are, but out of the blue, he sends a blessing. And then, Frank, 40 days later, okay, the days of your purification are done. Jesus has already been circumcised, and they go to present him at the temple. And who do they meet but two people, again, out of the blue? Mm. A Simeon and Anna. And Father had told them that they're going to see the Messiah. I mean, I can't imagine how Mary and Joseph felt. In fact, Luke 2 says they marveled. Yeah. At the praise that came out of Simeon's mouth. These people erupting in fountains of praise because they've seen the Messiah. And I bet you as a little baby, he wasn't all that impressive. (laughs) (laughs) No, and especially to the two parents that he was born to. That was revelation. And like you said, this God doesn't resemble what we think he should be. And he's unpredictable. And for Simeon and Anna, they had to hear from God because this certainly wouldn't have looked like the family that the future king of kings would have been born into. Oh, heavens no. I mean, they come, you remember what they brought, Frank? They brought turtle doves, which was the offering of the most poor. Right. Wow. I mean, that's not what I would expect them to bring. (laughs) My goodness. And so there they are. Again, Father throws them a couple of big bones, and it's got to be encouraging. It's got to be lifting them up. I just can't imagine that our Father would leave these two young people. And I I keep talking about young, Frank, but history tells us that Mary might have been 14, 15, maybe 16. You know, Joseph might have been 17, 18. I mean, these kids aren't even old enough to vote in our world. Yeah, Uh, There they are not only starting a family, but under the most difficult of conditions. Mm. My goodness. Wow. And so you got to wonder how many questions were running through Mary and Joseph's mind. You know, can this be true? Uh, We're so poor. Nothing's changing. We got to go back to Nazareth now. We're going to stay in Bethlehem and things are going to be tough. And it's easy, Frank, to get expectations elevated when you hear things like Messiah and King of Kings, and you got to go back to absolute poverty. I remember some years ago, many years ago, you gave a message on uh, on John the Baptist in prison. Yeah. And, you know, John was in prison, and he was there when the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. He heard the voice, and of course, he's looking at everything that's going on. And he's asking, you know, are you the one? Because he was looking for something other than what Jesus came to do. 
And how does Jesus answer him? He says, hey, the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. If I'm looking for a king, this doesn't sound like strategic plan to oust Herod and overturn Rome. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be discouraged because I've been looking for something else. And I got to believe something like that was going through the minds of Mary and Joseph as well. Am I off base there? What do you think? Because our expectations about our God sometimes don't really pan out in what he gives us. Yeah, John, and, and you've hit a nerve for me anyway. I remember that message. My goodness, that was 35 years ago. But I still remember it as I looked at the passage and the Holy Spirit was teaching me in it. I titled that Doubts in the Dungeon. And my point in that message was, here's this man, John the Baptist, Holy Spirit upon him. He is a fireball. I mean, he's out in the desert. He's rebuking the Pharisees. He's warning the sinners to repent. He's courageous. He's a warrior. But when he gets thrown in that dungeon... Uh, circumstances don't line up and the doubts set in. And, you know, John, just to remain on the preachy side, because they teach you how to do this in preacher school, but a corollary, when you're in the valley, you might call it vision problems in the valley. (laughs) Circumstances have a way of hindering our faith, because how do we line up the circumstances with what we're experiencing, which is not so good sometimes with a very good God. And John, where this is touching my buttons is there's a lot of people out there that are not teaching what this Christian life is really all about. They think that you come to Jesus and all your problems are solved, that if you just walk by faith, you're going to have this ethereal float through life. And it's simply not true. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, he adds, very important to add, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. But it doesn't mean the tribulation isn't there. My favorite book in the New Testament, John, is is 2 Corinthians. And and I think you, you know that, at least by implication. Paul said in that letter, I'm going to open my heart in this book. And you know what he said in chapter one? He said, I'm despairing of life. He says in chapter four, death comes at me every day. But then he adds, so that the life might be made manifest. And in chapter one, when he wrote, I'm despairing of life, he said, and then I remembered God raises the dead. And he wasn't talking about raising you out of the grave. He was talking about raising you in the midst of the death you encounter in a fallen world. So this is not Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. Uh, We are in a battle. We're in a war. Paul said, suffer hardship as a good soldier. And Mary is one of those soldiers. She's in the battle. Death comes at her. But even though the Holy Spirit is not yet inside of her, he's certainly upon her. And he's giving her these dots to connect so that she can persevere in faith 
and look for his hand in every valley that she's walking through. And he delivers, John. He does deliver to her. And she can connect those dots and continue to walk in faith. Yeah, he does deliver to her. He did. He delivers to us. He delivers to everyone. Mm -hmm. But the thing that always seems to perplex us is he often doesn't show up when we want, where we want, how we want. You know, he doesn't read the script, Frank. (laughs) No, he directs the script. (laughs) But, you know, that's like I said earlier, you know, the God we want is sometimes very different from the God who is. And so as this young lady and this young man go through life, you mentioned this earlier, the suffering. Scripture is largely silent, but you see glimpses of it here and there. Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him. We see that in John 7. Mark 3, Jesus' family thought he was out of his mind. And so all this tension raising up as he's growing up in this household. And so I can see how in John 2 with the wedding, she finally steps out and says, well, I'm going to get some vindication now, Frank. Mm. So what's going on with the wedding and the dynamic between those two, mother and the son? It's a very interesting scenario because we need to set the context. Jesus has been baptized. The Holy Spirit has come upon him. And John one's very clear in recording that he's called his disciples. And so they go to this wedding in Cana, and they run out of wine. And John, we need to put ourselves in the context. You know, one of the things we always say is never read the Bible casually. Put yourself there. They didn't have three-hour receptions like we do in our culture. The wedding celebration went on for days, sometimes up to a week. And so to run out of wine would have been a very publicly embarrassing issue. And Mary comes to him and says, they've run out of wine. And Jesus' response, when you look at it, seems very terse. He doesn't call her mother. He says, woman. And then he says, what do I have to do with you? In other words, this isn't my concern. But then interesting, very interesting. She goes to the servants and says, do whatever he says. Now, it's funny, when I taught that passage, John, I thought, what do we have here? A Jewish mother? (laughs) You know, I grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in Los Angeles, and they can get their way. Oh, yeah, without even Uh, trying. (laughs) But it's interesting. And my synopsis is this. Jesus was saying to her, I know what you want. You want this big public miracle to set the record straight about you being a virgin with a child to establish your good reputation. And it's not time yet, but here's the key. She knew his goodness. She knew his character and she knew he's the kind of God that's going to minister to two kids and rescue them from their embarrassment. He's just not going to do it in a great big public show, not Yet anyway, that's coming just a little ways down the road when he goes to Jerusalem and makes a public declaration of war on religion. But at this instance, John, it was a private declaration of war. He could have just filled the wineskins, but he filled those purification pots, a miss 
abuse, a, a perversion of Old Testament passages about ceremoniously being cleansed. And the Jews had turned it into a bondage. So he said, we're going to fill those pots with new wine. In other words, new life is coming. I'm here to declare war on religion. It's just sort of a private declaration right now. We're going to minister to those two kids in a very short time. I'm going to make a whip and we're going to draw the battle lines and then everybody will know. But it's wonderful how he said no to Mary, not yet time, but also yes to those two kids. And she knew his goodness. Yeah. And it was another comfort for her. Yeah. There we are, 30 some years later, seven kids at least. The struggles of raising them in a home like that. Apparently, Joseph was dead by now. And he says, Don't worry. You were right 30 years ago. You're still right. Just trust me. Mm. And so it's it's just really kind of cool to see that Frank, she's steadfast. She doesn't let go. And then, of course, in John 19, we see her there at the foot of the cross. I can't imagine what it was like for her to watch her son not only die, but die in the most horrible, dishonorable death. But she was Mm. there, Frank. She was steadfast. She didn't Mm. give up on her son. And then, of course, the last time we see her in Scripture is Acts chapter 1, where she's with the disciples after the ascension, and she's praying. And Mm. so this woman has had heartbreak after heartbreak, the blessings of being blessed among women have turned out to be rather difficult, but she's seen her son ascend into heaven. She knows it's all true, mm. and she's praying. I looked at this, Frank, and she did not grow weary in 33 years of doing Ooh. good. Galatians Ooh. 6, she did not grow weary. She persevered, yeah. and look at the fruit that has come out of this woman's I'm going to trust my father when the world is screaming, no. It gives me goosebumps, my friend. It really does. As it should, John, as it should for all of us. As I was listening to you, there's a word that kept ringing in my brain as I listened to you. And it's a four-letter word, in my opinion. Wait. (laughs) It's hard to wait. This little lady waited was 33 years for vindication. And the vindication came in the form of an empty tomb. And then they knew she truly was the mother of the Messiah. And therefore she truly was a virgin because this woman was impregnated by the Holy Spirit so that there was no Adamic nature passed on to him. And she was finally vindicated, John, but she had to wait a long time for it. Thinking of, we should all take comfort from her to persevere in our faith that when the answer from God is wait, it is coming. And he is good, and he'll manifest and prove his goodness. But sometimes we have to wait for it, and until then, continue to trust. Amen. Kind of like Abraham waiting 25 years. Does God like it 
when we have to wait so long. <laughs> I see a lot of people that happen to in scripture. <laughs> yes, you're right. I'm, yeah, I mean, the, we can sit here and run the list. We're running out of time. You know, I'll give one last thought, my friend, and ask you to wrap this up. We first saw Mary, and she said these words, the handmaiden of the Lord, mm. the bond servant of the Lord. In other words, uh, not my will, but yours. And then 33 years later, the last time we see her, She's watching her son descend into heaven, and she's praying. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay, my friend, wrap us up. John, I don't know that there is a wrap-up other than kneel at his feet, have the same mindset that he had of laying down your life that others might live, and knowing that as you lay down your life, he offers you his resurrection power to raise you up in the midst of whatever this world throws at you. And I maybe would think of Jude 24 and 25. He's able to make you stand and he's able to make you stand blameless. And this was what Mary knew and it's what we can know. And it's worth waiting for. Amen. <laughs> Well, friends, uh, you've been listening to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Frank and I have been talking about Mary, her suffering and her blessings, all braided together into a lifetime of, of uh, just amazing love for her father and trust in her God. Mm -hmm. uh, we invite you to check out our website. We've got lots of stuff along the same lines there, ourresolutehope.com, articles, newsletters. We've got books uh, all centered on drawing you into the same type of relationship with the Savior that Mary had with her father. And uh, follow us on social media platforms. You'll, you can catch us on Facebook, Instagram. we got our own YouTube channel. So make sure you like us and subscribe and ring that bell so you won't miss any new installments. And as always, we close with this reminder from Hebrews that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls. It's a living hope. It's a steadfast hope. It's a blessed hope, Paul told Titus. Frank and I call it a resolute hope. So today and always, choose hope and choose Jesus. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, he offers you himself, his own life. He wants to live his life with you, in you, and through you as you trust him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.